He just said the secret words, overturn the election. That's admitting he tried to stage a violent coup. Johnny, tell the people what he gets. Still no consequences for some reason. We live in hell. Back to you, Steve. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you, Steve. Yes, we do live in hell. Welcome to the Bradcast. Stuck in the middle of hell from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's, Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell-ish fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, because it never stops. The news never stops, Desi Doyen. Turns out, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Even after minutes, just minutes after we got off the air uh, last night, CNN reported this exclusive. Former President Donald Trump's advisors drafted two, count them, two versions of an executive order to seize voting machines. One directing the Department of Defense to do so a copy of which was published by Politico uh, a week or so ago that we discussed last week with the Coalition for Good Governance's Marilyn Marks, since it was her long-standing lawsuit to ban Georgia's vulnerable and unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, which was quoted at length in that draft executive order. It was quoted and, of course, misinterpreted weaponized and used as the central pretext for Trump to order the Department of Defense to uh, seize voting machines in states that Trump was pretending were riddled with fraud. Fortunately, that uh, executive order was uh, was a draft order. It was never issued. But there was apparently another executive order that would have had the Department of Homeland Security seize those voting machines, CNN reports, uh, as part of a broader effort to, as CNN describes it, undermine the 2020 election results. Undermine? That's what they say. 
That's really mild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He wasn't trying to undermine the results. He was trying to steal the election and desperately turning to any federal agency who he thought might be able to help him, including the Department of Defense. And we have now learned the Department of Homeland Security, which, according to a follow up report from The New York Times, suggested they declined to seize the nation's voting machines for Trump as they lacked the authority to either audit or impound the machines. But the Times reports uh, report suggests that Trump also attempted before both of those efforts to have the Department of Justice do the same thing, only to be rebuffed, incredibly enough, during an Oval Office meeting with then-Attorney General Bill Barr after Trump personally raised the possibility of whether the DOJ could seize the machines. Barr, according to the Times exclusive on this, immediately shot down the idea. He, he told Trump that uh, the DOJ had no grounds for seizing the machines because there was no evidence of a crime such as fraud, that would allow them to do so. It was thereafter uh, that uh, after Barr refused to go along with Trump's scheme that Barr made it publicly clear that the department had found no evidence of fraud that would change the results of the 2020 election. And he subsequently announced his resignation in the bargain. As CNN reported, revelations that two draft executive orders were actually drawn up for different agencies to carry out the job underscores the extent to which the former president's allies wanted to weaponize the powers of his lame duck administration to overturn the election. All of these new accounts, as The New York Times describes them, show that Mr. Trump was more directly involved than previously known in exploring proposals to use his national security agencies to seize voting machines as he grasped unsuccessfully for evidence of fraud that would help him, here's how the Times politely describes it, reverse his defeat in the 2020 election. Reverse his defeat. Yeah. Now, if you or I had done any of this, of course, we would be accused of trying to steal an election. But sure, undermine the results or reverse his defeat as CNN and New York Times are still describing the most brazen attack by a sitting president, nonetheless, uh, the most brazen attempt to try and steal a presidential election from the American people before our very eyes. The existence of proposals to use at least three federal departments to try and assist Trump's attempt to stay in power, the Times reports, and these uh, new accounts of his attempt to do so provide fresh insight into how the former president considered and to some degree pushed the plans which would have taken the United States into uncharted territory by using federal authority to seize control of the voting systems run by states on baseless grounds of widespread voting fraud. All of which makes the Republican Party's claims, by the way, of fighting for states' rights all the more amusing and absurd because they were going to have the federal government seize the state's voting machines. And, in fact, no small number of these uh, 
members of the Republican Party in Congress were actually supportive of Trump's efforts to do this, including dozens of members of both the House and Senate who played along by voting against the certification of Joe Biden's Electoral College victory on January 6th, despite no evidence of fraud, and several of them who also participated in various ways in helping Trump to incite the deadly attack on the U.S. Capitol that same day. Some of those members of Congress, and yes, even Trump himself, whether they are charged for sedition or insurrection themselves, may soon find themselves disqualified from future federal office, according to my guest joining us momentarily. Yesterday, you'll recall in the broadcast, we rounded up our disgraced scofflaw, twice impeached former president's busy weekend in which he held a rally in Conroe, Texas, suggesting that if he became president again, he was prepared to pardon the violent insurrectionists who attacked the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, as part of his efforts to steal the presidential election. That was a deadly assault that, according to a majority of U.S. senators, including nine Republicans during his second impeachment, uh, determined to have been incited by Donald Trump himself. It was the most violent attack on the U.S. Capitol since the War of 1812, and it resulted in more than 140 law enforcement officials being seriously injured, several of whom died, took their own lives in the days that followed. But that's hardly all that happened at Trump's Texas weekend rally. He also called for the largest street protests ever in Washington, D.C., Atlanta and New York. Why D.C., Atlanta, and New York? Well, that was in the event that he is indicted by any of the several criminal investigations into all manner of apparent crimes carried out by this president in those three cities, including bank, tax, and insurance fraud in New York, and leading a criminal conspiracy to steal the election in the state of Georgia. In Washington, D.C., the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection by Trump supporters may also make criminal referrals to the Department of Justice for a host of apparent crimes that they have been uncovering in their comprehensive probe. And the Department of Justice may or may not be investigating Trump's criminal involvement in helping to incite that deadly riot at least according to Attorney General Merrick Garland, speaking at the DOJ last month to mark the one-year anniversary of the attack after some 700 on-the-ground supporters to date have been indicted for their actions. The actions we have taken thus far will not be our last. The Justice Department remains committed to holding all January 6 perpetrators at any level accountable under law, whether they were present that day or were otherwise criminally responsible for the assault on our democracy. We will follow the facts wherever they lead. Well, that sounds encouraging. Several days later, uh, 10 members of the Oath Keepers militia group were charged with, among other things, seditious conspiracy for their part in attacking the Capitol. Beyond that, however, none of the top apparent coup plotters, such as the former president of the United States and several members of the MAGA right in Congress, 
have been held accountable for their actions in instigating that coup attempt. And in case there was any question about whether that's what it was, Donald Trump on Sunday also released a statement admitting that the focus on then-Vice President Mike Pence on January 6th, resulting in chants of hang Mike Pence by his supporters on the ground, by Trump supporters, was meant to bully the then-Vice President to not to pause Congress's final certification of Joe Biden's Electoral College victory, uh, to investigate imaginary fraud, but to, quote, change the outcome, unquote, and, quote, overturn the election, unquote, in Donald Trump's favor. Those are quotes from his actual statement on Sunday. Despite all of these admissions, no charges for sedition or insurrection have been brought against Donald Trump or any of the Republican MAGA members of Congress who reportedly participated in multiple meetings to organize the January 6 events, including Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, Mo Brooks of Alabama, Paul Gosar of Arizona, Lauren Boebert of Colorado, or Madison Cawthorn of North Carolina. None to date has paid any price though that has changed at least somewhat in recent days, at least for Cawthorn, thanks to a complaint filed with the North Carolina State Board of Elections last month challenging Cawthorn's qualifications for the ballot in the 2022 midterm elections under both state law and the federal constitution. After the freshman congressman Cawthorn reportedly met with organizers of the January 6th rally, multiple times and spoke that day on the ellipse in front of the White House before Donald Trump's call for supporters to go to the Capitol and, quote, fight like hell. The courage that I see in this crowd is not represented on that hill. My friends, I will tell you right now that there is a new Republican Party rising. But my friends, the Democrats, with all the fraud they have done in this election, the Republicans hiding and not fighting, they are trying to silence your voice. There is a new Republican Party on the rise that will represent this country, that will go and fight in Washington, D.C. I'll tell you, I see so many of my friends who are up in Congress with me who are about to go back to that Capitol Hill. And at 12 o'clock today, we will be contesting the election. Congressman Cawthorn on January 6th in front of the White House. The uh, New York Times reported last week that a group of lawyers is working to disqualify from the ballot a right-wing House Republican who cheered on the January 6th rioters unless he can prove he is not an insurrectionist disqualified by the Constitution from holding office in a case with implications for other office holders and potentially former President Donald J. Trump himself. The Times writes that the novel challenge to the re-election bid of Representative Madison Cawthorn, one of the House's brashest supporters of Trump, and the lie that the 2020 election was stolen could set a precedent to challenge other Republicans who swore to uphold the Constitution and then encouraged the attack. The North Carolina case has already prompted a legal discussion, one that is likely to land in court, about what constitutes an insurrection and who is an insurrectionist. And for the first time, a lawmaker who embraced the rioters may have to answer for his actions 
in a court of law. That's thanks in part to our friends at freespeechforpeople.org. Uh, one of our favorite good government and accountability nonpartisan nonprofit groups. They have been calling for accountability for insurrectionist lawmakers in Congress and, yes, at the presidential level for some time with their constitutional 14.3.org campaign. That campaign, the very serious complaint now filed in North Carolina against Cawthorn and how it may affect other insurrectionist members of Congress and, yes, our former president, that's next, as we are joined by Free Speech for People's President, John Bonifaz. Right here on the broadcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the broadcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The complaint filed last month, January 10, at the North Carolina State Board of Elections begins this way. The challengers in this action, registered voters in the 13th Congressional District, have reasonable suspicion pursuant to state law that... Congressman Madison Cawthorn, a candidate for North Carolina's 13th Congressional District, does not meet the federal constitutional requirements for a member of the U.S. House of Representatives and is therefore ineligible to be a candidate for such office. Under North Carolina law, when a challenger provides, quote, reasonable suspicion or belief, unquote, of facts establishing that a candidate, quote, does not meet the constitutional qualifications for the office, then, quote, the burden of proof shall be upon the candidate to show a, by a preponderance of the evidence that he or she is qualified to be a candidate for the office. Under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the complaint continues, known as the Disqualification Clause, quote, no person shall be a representative in Congress who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress, to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, unquote. Persons who trigger this constitutional provision are disqualified from congressional office just as persons who fail to meet the age, citizenship, and residency requirements of Article I, Section 2 of the Constitution are disqualified from congressional office themselves. The Times notes that among the group of lawyers behind this lawsuit in North Carolina are the folks at one of our favorite good government and accountability nonpartisan nonprofit groups known as freespeechforpeople.org. Their senior legal counsel, Ron Fine, is quoted in the Times as suggesting that the case now filed against Cawthorn in North Carolina may not be the last one brought by the group which has established a campaign to enforce 
Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, that there may be other suits brought in other states, and that this case in North Carolina, a critical swing state in presidential elections, could set a precedent for whether one Donald J. Trump would be allowed to even appear on the state's ballot should he decide to run again in 2024. Ron Fine, a previous guest on this program, told The Times we are definitely going to file other challenges. We have no specific names or dates to divulge just yet. Joining us now is the co-founder and president of FreeSpeechForPeople.org, John Bonifaz. He's a constitutional attorney and law expert who has long been fighting for accountability for the Trump clan, including with the group's call for Attorney General Merrick Garland to resign, given his apparent lack of investigation of Trump and his criminal cronies. John Bonifaz, thanks for joining us again today, and welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for having me. This, uh, of course, is a novel uh, complaint, uh, indeed, at least since the Civil War era. One of the attorneys quoted by The Times, uh, Michael Gerhardt, a constitutional law professor at the University of North Carolina, explained that uh, this complaint was anything but frivolous, noting, quote, there's an old saying in law school, does it pass the straight face test? And he added, yes, this case passes that test. Uh, if so, John Bonifaz, who decides as much? Is this the North Carolina State Board of Elections? Because that's where the complaint was filed. Or will this be uh, moved to a state court or a federal court? How does this even work? Yes. Well, first, it's a, it's a novel challenge in the sense that it's the first such challenge since the Reconstruction era. Although during that time, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment was applied to many Confederates who remained in positions of government power or sought to be in positions of government power. And the framers of the 14th Amendment were clear that if you take an oath of office to defend and protect the Constitution and then you turn around and engage in insurrection or give aid or comfort to it, you are prohibited from holding future public office again. So many Confederates were removed from positions of government power as a result of that critical constitutional provision. Hmm. Now we have the second insurrection in our nation's history, January 6, 2021, and those who incited the insurrection or gave aid or comfort to it must also face accountability under that mandate. The part that's not new, uh, frankly, for North Carolina uh, is the notion that voters have the ability to challenge the eligibility of a candidate appearing uh, to appear on the ballot in North Carolina mm -hmm. when they determine that the candidate is not qualified for any variety of reasons. In this case, it happens to be that this candidate, Madison Cawthorn, is disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But there's a longstanding state statute that lays out the process by which voters can bring these kinds of challenges. They're brought before the North Carolina State Board of Elections, and the State Board of Elections, in the first instance, assigns a panel of election officials in that district where the candidate is running mm -hmm. to hear the challenge. They have 20 days to hear it after the panel is assigned, and then it can be appealed. The decision by either side can be appealed to the full State Board of Elections, which must hear that appeal on an expedited basis, and then it can go into the state court system, first to the North Carolina Court of Appeals and then to the North Carolina Supreme Court. 
This is all laid out in the state mm-hmm. statute, and there have frankly been many challenges brought under this state statute over the years in North Carolina to the eligibility of candidates. This just mm-hmm. happens to be the first one that's brought uh, in under under this statute dealing with Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Cawthorn's attorney, James Bopp, a, a well-known Republican uh, campaign lawyer, told The Times that while he believed that this was, quote, the most frivolous case I've ever seen, unquote, he also said that, that what he saw as a, quote, unethical exploitation of North Carolina law by competent lawyers could, in fact, pose a real threat to Cawthorn and, by extension, to others labeled as insurrectionists by uh, what he describes as so-called liberal lawyers. Uh, this is a this is the real threat to our democracy. He said, just by bringing the complaint, they might jeopardize a member of Congress running for re-election. So, John, uh, you, this complaint is the threat to democracy. Apparently, your response to Mr. Bop. Well, there's clearly no merit in that. This complaint is designed to defend democracy and to defend this critical constitutional provision, which is there in the Constitution to protect our republic. We do not want people who defend, who, who take an oath of office mm-hmm. to defend the Constitution and then turn around and seek to overthrow the government through insurrection uh, to be able to hold public office. Again, that's the idea of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And if James Bopp and Madison Cawthorn are scared of anything, they're scared of the mandate of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Now, the North Carolina election rules here require Cawthorn to actually prove that he is not an insurrectionist, as I understand it, that he did not, uh, quote, engage in an insurrection, uh, which seems to go somewhat against the idea of, you know, innocent until proven guilty premise of American law. Uh, You know, on on what basis now is Cawthorn currently challenging your complaint? Because I understand he has since uh, filed suit in, I, I believe, federal court to try to get the entire thing thrown out from, you know, in front of, from where it currently is, in front of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. Yes, but let me, let me just first uh, address the point, innocent until proven guilty. This, this is not a criminal proceeding, right? No, nothing mm-hmm. that happens before the State Board of Elections or before the state courts in this matter is going to land Madison Cawthorn in jail. Uh, this is not about any kind of criminal punishment. Uh, that is a separate question for the Justice Department and perhaps state legal authorities to decide. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on the question of whether or not he can be on the ballot, uh, that that is a question that both needs to deal with state qualifications and federal constitutional qualifications. So if Madison Cawthorn were 10 years old Mm -hmm. uh, and seeking to be on the ballot in North Carolina, there'd be no question that he's ineligible be placed on the ballot because he doesn't meet the age qualification Mm -hmm. for a member of Congress. This is another qualification requirement. You cannot take an oath of office, as Madison Cawthorn did on January 3rd of 2021, and then turn around and engage in insurrection uh, and then hold public office again. That's what this is about. Now, in response to this, instead of complying with the process that's laid out uh, under state law and that every candidate who declares their candidacy in North Carolina understands the process to be, instead of complying with that, 
he has now rushed to federal court with his attorney, James Bob, to try to completely declare the whole process by which Canada challenges are brought to be unconstitutional on the grounds that his constitutional rights uh, are violated, that he's suffering constitutional injury. And the argument is such that somehow, you know, he should not have to uh, prove he's not an insurrectionist. Well, if it's so hard for him to prove that he's not an insurrectionist, maybe the real question is why Section 3 of the 14th Amendment should not be applied to him. If he's really nervous about appearing before the State Board of Elections on this, uh, then that may be a real indication that the State Board needs to act in the voters' favor who brought this challenge. But that's the federal lawsuit Mm -hmm. uh, he's brought. We plan to move to intervene on behalf of our clients, the voters who brought this challenge, to help defend the existing state law that Mm -hmm. is applicable here with respect to candidate challenges. Uh, And the State Board of Elections will be represented by the North Carolina Attorney General's Office. But the very fact he's doing an end run around the state process and rushing into federal court ought to tell you a lot about whether Madison Cawthorn wants to appear before the State Board of Elections to defend himself. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I, I uh, well, I want to get to to his defense here that they're they're uh, trying to uh, trying to put forward in the federal case. But just very quickly on that, that whole idea of innocent uh, until proven guilty. Thank you for sort of clarifying that. So if uh, because this is not federal law, this is state uh, the procedures for you know getting onto the ballot. And if a ten-year-old did show up and said, "I want to be a candidate," then presumably someone would make a complaint, and that ten-year-old would have to prove that he was in fact the proper age to run. I don't know what it is in North Carolina, much as these complaints we see all over uh, challenges to ballots all over the country saying that somebody, you don't live in the district, you can't run here. You have to prove that you do run in the district. Correct. Okay. So with that in mind, so that makes perfect sense now that he has to prove, I guess, that he is qualified uh, to run for office there. But in the federal complaint, meanwhile, uh, once again, his attorney's his attorney, Mr. Bopp, is saying that uh, the entire idea of uh, Section uh, um, uh, the 14th Amendment, Section three is bogus because it says Congress may vote by a uh, by a vote of two thirds of each house to remove such a disability for a candidate for office. He contends that Congress did exactly that with the Amnesty Act of 1872 that declared, quote, all political disabilities imposed by the third section of the 14th Amendment were, quote, hereby removed from all persons whomsoever. So does that settle the issue then, John, that there is no constitutional disqualification for an insurrectionist? No. Well, first of all, as we know, to repeal any section of the Constitution uh, requires a new amendment to the Constitution, not some statute that gets passed by Congress. And the scholars who have been studying Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, including the expert witness for this challenge, Gerard Magliocca, a University of Indiana Law School scholar who was quoted in the New York Times story you cite, made clear that that 1872 law does not have pro, uh, prospective relief. There, mm-hmm. There's no idea behind the legislative history there that what was intended is to effectively erase from the Constitution Section 3 of the 14th Amendment and never allow 
its applicability to future insurrectionists. So there's really no basis uh, for that claim. If anything uh, is frivolous uh, that James Bob wants to discuss, that's that's frivolous. Uh, there's no basis uh, to make that argument. But, you know, they're going to try anything mm. to prevent the merits mm-hmm. of this discussion from being heard. Uh, and that is what they're most scared of. Because the fact is, is that Congressman Cawthorn, based on publicly available evidence, was involved in efforts to intimidate uh, Congress and the vice president into rejecting valid electoral votes and subvert the essential constitutional function of an orderly and peaceful uh, transfer of power. He was involved uh, in the pre-attack rally that occurred on January 6th. And based on uh, publicly available reports, his office and, uh, and, and himself were involved in contacts, frequent contacts, with those rally organizers. So all of that leads to serious questions about his role in the insurrection, whether he gave aid or comfort to it. And based on what we have presented in the complaint, uh, the state board is able, in our view, to determine that he is disqualified. If he wants to you know, not show up and, and not present any defense, then he bears the risk of the state board looking at the evidence that we presented and determine that he's disqualified. Has he not shown up? Has he not uh, responded to the complaint I- at the uh, state board of elections? He's not yet responded in part because he's not had to. What's happened here is that the day after this was filed on January 10th, 2022, the very next day, the State Board of Elections went to a Superior Court in North Carolina, the Wake County Superior Court, and asked for a stay of all challenges to candidate eligibility Mm -hmm. until the court determined whether there would be new district lines Mm -hmm. drawn. There's a battle happening in the state around redistricting. And, you know, their their argument was if the district lines change, then that will change potentially, uh, you know, whether he's Mm -hmm. running in this district or a different district and what the panel of election officials will look like since it has to come from election officials in that district. So that stay has been in effect uh, since that time, and that's why the 20-day clock for the first panel to hear this hasn't even begun. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, James Bob has been pretty clear in public statements that uh, he will not sit for a deposition as the challenges are entitled uh, to have with respect to this uh, challenge that has been brought, uh, that he will uh, effectively fight this all the way. Uh, And I think that we can expect that when it comes to the State Board of Elections, uh, James Bob will resist having his client appear. But, you know, if he does appear, we'll be ready to cross-examine him even, uh, you know, at, at that hearing itself, we do believe that he must sit for a deposition prior to that hearing. Wow. I, he's, he's not even agreeing to sit for the deposition. Now, if, if he helped organize uh, Madison Cawthorn, if he helped organize in some fashion the January 6 rallies, uh, as you suggest, John Bonifaz, is that enough to establish that he, quote, engaged in an insurrection. I mean, what, he has not been charged with uh, sedition or insurrection. How do we determine what it means to be engaged in an insurrection? And how do well, we know this that is, this is even an great, insurrection, yeah. for that matter? This is a great question. So, first of all, there's no requirement under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that in order for candidates to be disqualified, they must first be indicted and convicted uh, you know, in a court proceeding. 
or that a court tribunal must first rule on them. There's no requirement whatsoever on that. And another one of our expert witnesses that will be coming uh, forward with respect to this challenge is none other than Lawrence Tribe, one of the most prominent constitutional scholars in the country, who will be making that very specific argument that, in fact, election officials have the mandate and responsibility to make these determinations, even without uh, a court uh, tribunal ruling first, uh, and that they're well within their authority and their responsibility to do so. So that is what the State Board of Elections must do. They must look at the evidence as to whether this was an insurrection or not. We will be presenting all that. Uh, They must then also look at the evidence of what Madison Cawthorn did and whether that either constitutes engaging insurrection or, as the language of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment makes clear, giving aid or comfort to it. Uh, And, you know, one of the points that's made in the complaint that we filed on behalf of the challengers is that they have reasonable suspicion that Cawthorn was involved in either planning the attack on January 6th or, alternatively, the planning of the pre-attack demonstration and or march on the Capitol with the advanced knowledge that it was substantially likely Mm. to lead to the attack and otherwise voluntarily aided the insurrection. So, you know, there, there is a lot of evidence now that's come forward about others that were involved, mm-hmm. uh, including the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys and so forth, in this whole January 6th set of events. And if, in fact, Madison Cawthorn was in frequent contact with the rally organizers, he very well could have known that they, there was this plan mm-hmm. beyond the rally to attack the Capitol. Uh, and that is, I think, very ind- much indicative of his role in aiding or giving comfort to the insurrection or engaging it in itself. Now, I understand that while uh, Free Speech for People uh, is examining similar uh, potential complaints against members, Congress members like Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia, Mo Brooks, Alabama, Paul Gosar, Arizona, Lauren Boebert in Colorado, their own state election laws are, are more present a higher hurdle, as uh, The New York Times describes it, for, to bring such a complaint uh, as opposed to what you have in North Carolina. But could, in those cases, could federal lawsuits be filed in those states to prevent uh, some of those members uh, from, from serving or, or running uh, for office? Well, let me, let me first address one, um, one point on this, right, which is that candidates, when they seek to be on a ballot, uh, they, they can be disqualified independent of any private actors, voters and others seeking to disqualify them through state proceedings uh, or through lawsuits. And that's because election officials have a responsibility and duty to apply the qualification requirements to anyone who wants to be on the ballot. So if you Mm -hmm. don't submit a significant number of signatures as required under state law to be Mm -hmm. on the ballot, you can be disqualified. Mm -hmm. If you're not of the proper age, you can be disqualified. And you don't have to wait for a challenge to be brought by voters or a lawsuit to be brought. So all of those candidates you've just mentioned who have been also named and implicated uh, with respect to engaging in the insurrection or giving aid or comfort to it, all of them uh, deserve the scrutiny of chief election officials in their respective states to determine whether or not they're qualified. So one of the things that we have done with this broader work 
is we've launched with our revolution uh, a 14.3 campaign. And that's uh, you can learn more about it at 14.point3.org. And that tells you a lot about what's happening uh, with respect to this campaign. But we're calling on people all across the country to make clear to their chief election officials, mostly secretaries of state, that they must follow the mandate of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And if anyone is seeking to appear on the ballot for federal, state, local office who engaged in the January 6th insurrection or gave aid or comfort to it, they are disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And secretaries of state have that responsibility, and other chief election officials have that responsibility to follow that mandate. Now, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please continue. Well, so that's one clear way that this mandate must be applied. Now, it is also true that independent of the kind of organizing and public education that activists can engage in and ordinary voters can engage in to making sure this mandate is filed, there's also the opportunity to file these direct challenges. And you're right that some of these other states don't have the same kind of process that North Carolina has, but they do have a process for challenging candidates. And then separate from that, I do think the the federal courts may uh, have to have to weigh in, but primarily the way candidates are determined whether or not they're on a, on a state ballot is through a state process, not a federal court process. If and and here is it seems to be pretty obviously where this goes uh, potentially anyway. Next, if in North Carolina it is determined the Madison Cawthorn, whether it's by the state board or by a uh, a, a federal court. Uh, looking at this in this uh, challenge that he's brought, if they determine that, yeah, he is not eligible for the ballot in North Carolina because he has engaged in an insurrection, doesn't that, well, mean a couple of things? One, that if Donald Trump decides to run again in North Carolina, he could very well be similarly kept off the ballot, specifically in North Carolina, where they've decided that Madison Cawthorn couldn't appear. If he can't appear, then Lord knows Donald Trump wouldn't be able to appear on that ballot. And if it is determined in North Carolina that he violated the Constitution's, you know, 14.3, the the 14th Amendment, Section 3 in North Carolina, then that applies everywhere, whether it's for Donald Trump or any other candidate uh, across the country. Yes, so uh, the, the very important points you're making. Yes, if Madison Cawthorn is declared disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment by the North Carolina State Board of Elections or by the North Carolina Supreme Court, then Donald Trump clearly is disqualified. He incited this insurrection, uh, and he will not be able to appear on the ballot in North Carolina. We have gone beyond that already and made clear to every chief election official in all 50 states and the District of Columbia that Donald Trump should not be appearing on their ballots. And we did that via a series of letters we issued in June and July of last year. Um, And we intend to continue to make that clear, and that's part of the campaign we've launched with our revolution on this. So, uh, you know, again, for your listeners, I, I think wherever people are living in the in the United States, there is a case to be made uh, to your chief election official that when it comes to the insider in chief, Donald Trump, he is ineligible 
from appearing on a future ballot in your state. John, I'm running really late, but I'd like to get in really two really quick questions. The last time that you and I spoke, uh, it was about your campaign, uh, your group's campaign seeking Merrick Garland's resignation because uh, for failing to take action against Trump and his and his cronies. Uh, Garland has since stated, as I played at the top there, that anyone involved in the January 6th attacks will be held accountable, whether they were there that day or not, no matter how high they served. Does that in any way assuage your concerns that the DOJ is not taking appropriate action uh, to investigate Trump and his cronies? I wish I could say it did, Brad. But, you know, Donald Trump is a direct and present danger to our democracy and to our Constitution. The speech he just gave in Texas Mm -hmm. should be further evidence of that. He is fomenting political violence. He incited this insurrection. He is essentially trying to obstruct justice yet again by incentivizing those who engage in this insurrection from naming any higher-ups because he's basically saying, I'll pardon you, if I get back into power, mm-hmm. sweeping pardons of any insurrectionist, all, all of this should demonstrate that there's no more time here with respect to holding Donald Trump accountable for mm-hmm. his criminal liability. We're, we're facing a, a serious threat right now, uh, and, and, and over a year later from the insurrection, and of course years later from some of these other crimes, that have been committed, including the obstruction of justice that Robert Mueller identified, 10 different incidents of obstruction of justice by Donald Trump. So at our uh, and at Free Speech for People, we don't understand uh, why there should be any more waiting around for Merrick Garland mm-hmm. and the Justice Department to act, and that's why we think the Justice Department needs new leadership with someone who recognizes the urgency of the moment uh, and the critical moment we're facing and applies the law, the rule of law, to Donald Trump and his associates for all federal crimes they may have committed. It, it, it is just you know very alarming to see what happened this weekend. It's like it's all happening right before our very eyes. And uh, nobody, well, except for you know maybe you guys and, and a few others, seem to be doing anything about it. I should say also the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, the state attorney and the Manhattan district attorney in New York, they seem to be taking action. But yes. it's like if Donald Trump feels like he's in trouble, all he's got to do tomorrow is declare that he's running in 2024, then anything that happens to him will be obviously to prevent him from running. I mean, that's the way he will characterize it. And that puts us in a very scary situation, John. And that's exactly why there's no more time to wait. You're absolutely right that his declaration of a candidacy will then make it even more difficult for the Justice Department to act. And and they frankly know that. I I can't imagine that they don't know that. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't make any sense why Uh, why there hasn't been action on their end by now with respect to Donald Trump and his associates. Uh, Lastly, John, the midterms are already uh, getting underway, really, in many states. Texas is going to have its primary the beginning of March. I know that things are on hold now because of of the redistricting challenge in North Carolina. But do you have any sense of when we might learn if any other cases are being brought against some of the members that have been mentioned and and when we might see a resolution in uh, Cawthorn's case in North Carolina, as far as you can tell? Well, look, the, the primary in North Carolina is scheduled for May 7th, and that's the primary ballot. It will include 
uh, you know, the congressional race in the 13th Congressional District where Madison Cawthorn is currently running. Uh, so the state board elections is either going to have to postpone that primary election for that district or they're going to have to decide uh, before then and allow time for appeals. Uh, and that's the, that's the current time frame we're under. It's going to be a matter of months, mm-hmm. uh, if not weeks, really, where we're going to see some, some action on this. And I think the other uh, you know potential candidates who may face these challenges uh, may also be facing them in a matter of, of months. But, you know, the primary ballot is, is for the first instance of where these candidates are seeking to appear. This is uh, fascinating. And, yeah, it does sound like it's going to be moving very quickly, uh, which is nice for a change, I guess. Uh, you can get more information on this effort and uh, support it at the number 14 point, P-O-I-N-T, the number three, 14.3.org, or of course, you can just go to freespeechforpeople.org. John Bonifaz can be found on the Twitters at John Bonifaz, and Free Speech for People can be found there as well at FSFP. John Bonifaz, always great speaking with you, my friend. I look forward to talking to you and or Ron in the coming weeks as this moves forward. Fascinating story, uh, really interesting work. Uh, thanks again for all that you guys are doing. Brad, thank you. Great to be with you. It really is a fascinating story. Wow. I, you know, when I yeah. saw, uh, when I uh, saw this effort initially, I thought, oh, it's you know one of those efforts. They're going to get some publicity from it, and you know, try to make a point. But this looks very real. Cawthorn may not be able to run uh, in twenty twenty two, and what that means for all of the other insurrectionist candidates, not to mention Donald Trump is really fascinating and this thing looks like it's for real yeah oh it's definitely for real I, I hope that it follows through in the way that the plain reading of the statute makes sense for it to, to work oh, the out plain re- meaning reading of the statute the of, constitution. Of the constitution yeah. the way those uh republican supreme courts pretend they give a damn about we'll see because this may get all the way up there we'll see Read the Constitution, you uh, textualist, you originalist, you constitutionalists. It's right there. All right, quick break, and we are back with, oh, look, Desi Doyen and the Green <laughs> News Report. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I don't even know how to kick things off uh, for the Green News Report. You know, I'm know. so uh, the, just this entire uh, fight for accountability for Donald Trump and his clan and what is going on in this country that still seems to be uh, under mi- misunderstood, underappreciated by mm-hmm. the yeah. American media. Uh, uh, but that has obviously consumed me. And yet <laughs> at the same time, the globe is is melting. So we got to do something about that as well, as we discuss in our latest Green News Report. The study found that daytime February temperatures have already gone up by more than 11 degrees at Olympic venues since the 1920s. Man-made global warming is threatening the long-term future of all winter sports. 
Northeast pummeled by record storm, plus... Across the country, there are 45,000 bridges in poor condition. It's just simply unacceptable. Following Pittsburgh bridge collapse, Biden promotes bipartisan infrastructure law. All of that promotion and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. These games will be the first to use 100% artificial snow. By deploying more than 100 snow generators and 300 snow-making guns and 49 million gallons of chemically treated water. Perfect for anyone who's ever peered into the deep blue sloshing contents of a Greyhound toilet and said, I wish I could do sports on that. (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, no snow in Beijing, apparently, but plenty of it on the East Coast this week. (laughs) Yes, indeed. The Northeast is digging out from a record-breaking snowstorm that left tens of thousands without power or heat amid brutally cold temperatures. Some areas of Massachusetts got three feet of snow in just 24 hours. Numerous studies clearly show that man-made global warming is triggering an increase in heavy precipitation events around the world because a warming atmosphere holds more moisture. Unusually warm ocean waters off the New England coast also boosted the storm's intensity and added even more moisture to it. And there's another one coming this week. Indeed there is. Great. The National Transportation Safety Board is now on scene investigating that massive bridge collapse in Pittsburgh on Friday that cast a national spotlight on the country's aging infrastructure just hours before President Biden arrived to promote his bipartisan infrastructure law. Casting a national spotlight on our aging president. That law dedicates billions in funding just for the nation's crumbling bridges. Ten people were injured in the bridge collapse, but miraculously, no one was killed. Biden noted in his speech that there are 45,000 bridges across the country rated in poor condition. And he said infrastructure funding is now on the way, generating jobs and boosting safety. We're giving state and local leaders historic funding to make national projects real. Here in Pennsylvania, that means at least $1.6 billion for bridges alone. We've got to get it on with it. We've got to move. The next time... We don't need headlines saying that someone was killed when the next bridge collapsed. And we're going to rebuild that bridge, along with thousands of other bridges in Pennsylvania and across the country, because it's in our interest for our own safety's sake. And it generates commerce in a way that we can't do now. Several congressional Republicans were also caught on social media trying to take credit for the infrastructure funding coming to their communities, despite the fact that they voted against the bipartisan infrastructure law. Well, that's what they do, isn't it? Meanwhile, the Winter Olympics is getting underway in Beijing, China this week and will be the first ever Winter Olympics to use virtually 100 percent artificial snow to cover the slopes. Snowmaking is energy and water intensive and uses chemicals to slow melting, all of which have environmental impact. Beijing is less than 150 miles from the rapidly expanding Gobi Desert, and generating artificial snow is straining the region's limited water supply.
As man-made climate change makes winters warmer and shorter, a new study warns it is also threatening the future of the Winter Olympics and all winter sports. Mm. Researchers found the daytime winter temperatures at 21 Winter Olympics venues have already warmed by more than 11 degrees since the 1920s. And they say if governments fail to curb emissions, only one of the Winter Olympic cities will still be able to safely host the Winter Olympics in the latter half of the century. Which one? Albert in the French Alps. Oh, that's my favorite. That, in turn, will also hit the billion-dollar winter outdoor recreation industry and tourism revenue. Finally, some good news. A federal judge has invalidated the largest offshore oil and gas lease sale in U.S. history because it relied on a seriously flawed Trump administration environmental assessment that downplayed the climate change impact of drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. The ruling is a victory for the Biden administration, which was appealing a different ruling that forced the sale to go forward. The new ruling gives the Interior Department the opportunity to conduct a new environmental analysis that will include the global impacts of future oil and gas production. After the Trump administration's Interior Department said that drilling in the Gulf wouldn't hurt climate at all. (laughs) Yeah. And after a Trump judge forced Biden to sell those leases in the Gulf. Yes. Before a real judge called it all off. Right. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. As far as I'm concerned, you've got no say. No sale. No sale. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. No sale. Uh, My thanks as well to our guest today, Free Speech for People's John Bonifaz, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any others, you can download them anytime for free at bradblog.com. And by the way, everything that we do is made possible only by listeners like you. No, you, you right there, you listening right now, who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, we really appreciate your help if you can stop on by there, bradblog.com slash donate. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the bradblog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Today you won't get what you want.